0: that I need to remind you of. The first is that next week is a celebratory event. It's called Grandparents' Day. I don't want y'all to forget that. (laughs) Yeah, We all been through something to get to that day. It means something. Yeah, and you want it to mean something to you, then teach your children that it means something. Now they'll bless you through that time. Be a good day for grandchildren to bring their grandparents to church, that can happen. Celebrate with the other thing is, we got some serious problems going on, and another. 80-plus percent black community in America. Jackson, Mississippi. Yeah. Be mindful that we don't hear these things going on in non-African American communities. All right? But they got a water system that's been imploding for years and Enough water came from the sky to damage their water system, and they—they they just in need of water. I know, sitting here right now, you can't even make a list of all the ways you just use water every day. Whatever all those ways are, you use water. They need water for that, but they don't have. They can't go just turn the tap on because the pressure's too low. They're going to need a billion dollars to redo their system. We've been giving folk billions of dollars to do various things around the country. We gave some folk billions of dollars to prepare medicine for us during COVID, and we never got the medicine. Nobody got the medicine, but the company got the money. I can give you an example after example of how our government spends money. I'd say they need to do some spending in Jackson, but until then, Brother Mason has sent out a clarion call, gotten permission from his folk in the administrative law offices around the country. He's going to send a truckload of water to Jackson. We want to contribute to it. See, Brother Mason today, truck's leaving tomorrow, right, Mason? Wednesday morning, so you got time to give him a donation. Truck, the truck is going to cost the same to run over there, whether it's half full or full. All right, we want it completely full. Yes, sir. All right. So let's make sure Mason's truck is pulled. Thank you, Brother Mason, for taking the leadership on that, and we're going to make sure that we answer that call support him in that respect. I started a sermon series a few weeks ago that was entitled The Character or the Names of God. It was centered around the names of God, and we've been making our way through that. For the last four weeks, But each year at 45th Street, we dedicate September to the month of prayer. And so I'm going to stick a pen in that sermon series, pause, and move into an arena that I think we can all use some support in. We're going to spend this month talking about prayer. You may think you know all you need to know about prayer, but every now and then, Things in life get broken. Your prayer life sometimes gets broken. Things come along and injure you in your life. And you need to get it repaired. How do I know this? Because for 57 years, I knew how to walk. I could walk fine. I didn't need any assistance in walking. But then an injury came along, and I had an injury to my ability to walk. And since the beginning of this year, around April or so, I've been going through walking therapy, physical therapy, where they've been teaching me how to walk again with the new reality that I have. I've been going once or twice a week, and will be for a while. Now, it wasn't that I had completely forgotten how to walk. All right? It was just that the mechanism that I used to walk had been damaged. My leg, my ankle, needs to be reminded of what its job is when it comes to moving me around. And the exercises that the therapist takes me through is designed to get that knowledge back again. Simple stuff that can bring big results if you do it right. And I came to tell you today that just as it is in the physical, it's also that way in the spiritual. Simple thing that you can do to remind yourself that you just need to walk. And I'm reminded when I do things That my leg don't know how, my ankle don't know how to do that no more. For example, I can just be stepping back from something as I normally would do. And my my ankle will tweak to let me know, "Uh uh-oh, you haven't done that. (laughs) That, That's a move that you take for granted. That you haven't done in a minute and we got to get you straight on that again before you can just do that on your own. And I guarantee you you're going through some things in your life. You're making motions like you've always been going through, and you're going to hit a move. And you're going to realize that I haven't done this in a while, and I need to strengthen myself in that respect. And I came to tell you, you need to be using some prayer therapy to make sure that those areas of your life where you have been hurt, fractured, damaged, are still working the way they should. And so the sermon series, and I'm telling you, there are some prayers out there, but the sermon series that we're going to be using as a title is Dangerous Prayers. Dangerous Prayers. There's some prayers out there that you can pray that really opens you up to inspection, opens you up to a whole new way of life. For example, if if you're bold enough and mature enough to ask the Lord to search me, that's a dangerous prayer. All right, maybe you ask the Lord to send me, or 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 or, or, or maybe you say to Him, increase my faith, Lord. Yeah, I can. I'm going. I got examples in in the Bible of people who had the audacity to pray those prayers, and the life experiences they had by uttering those prayers changed. You dare ask the Lord to humble you. That comes with its own consequences. And so today, I want to start out by giving you what I think is a familiar story. You've been in Bible study with us over the last year through COVID. We went through this extensively when we studied the Acts of the Apostles. I want you to go to chapter 12 in your Bible, Acts of the Apostles, chapter 12. Yeah, And I tell you, I'm good. I'm going to repeat it, and you'll hear me often repeat it. We'll display the scriptures that I'm talking about. That was one of the moves. Uh, we, we'll display the, the scripture that I'm that I'm talking about. But it's always good if you bring your own workbook. All right, the King James version or NIV, whatever your workbook is, whatever version you have, bring it so you can mark it up and write it up. Go to chapter twelve, and we're gonna. Today, I want to talk about, I believe in the power of prayer. I believe in the power of prayer. Luke penned these words in the Acts of the Apostles, starting at verse 1. Now, about that time, Herod, the king, stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church. And he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw it please the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of the unleavened bread, is parenthesized. And when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four quaternions of soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter, to bring him forth to the people. And Peter, therefore, was kept in prison. But prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. I'm going to stop reading at that verse, verse 5, and ask you this question. How much can you accomplish through prayer? How much can you accomplish through prayer? Let me give you an answer to this. You can write it down. Anything that heaven can do, you can do through prayer. Anything that heaven can do, you can do through prayer. Of course, it depends on whether it's in the Lord's will. But if heaven can do it, Prayer is the vehicle through which you can accomplish it. I don't know why God had made why God made it so that you and I can do powerful things through the medium of prayer. Prayer is what he's given to us. It's, it's confounding. It's confounding what you can do if you just have a little talk with Jesus. It's amazing what you can do if you just tell him all about your troubles. The Bible has told us, and the songwriter has gone on to uh, amplify that he'll hear our things cry. And I love this. I love, I love that the songwriter was mature enough not to give you unrealistic expectations. Yeah. He said, and he'll answer by and by. Yeah, not right now, all the time, but by and by. What can you accomplish through prayer? Is there anything too hard or too impossible for the Lord to do? The question is, do you really believe that he can do it through the through the medium or the vehicle of prayer? What the scripture we're talking about today gives us a great definition of is the potential of prayer. It's the potential. What is potential? Yeah. Some of us know what potential is all too well because some of us feel like we've never really made our potential. We'll say to folk that I could have done a lot more than I did, but, but there's always a but that comes through it. Or, you know, I could have been a contender, but I, I could have been a doctor, but potential. And the truth of the matter is we all have much more potential. I love this simple fact that we have brain power enough to make a computer. But we can't outthink the computer we made. It's not because we don't have the ability to do it. Because we made it. Yeah, it's because of the processes that go through. The computer is able to compute really fast, but really not faster than your brain. No. No. And if you were to hone your skills in a particular area, you could outdo that computer in some calculations. Because what a computer does not have included in the mix of its equations is love. It doesn't have those emotions that make the difference in actually taking care of situations. But we can make it, each one of us can. All of those little bulls in the back that I talked about have the potential to be dynamic, awesome, mighty men of our community. The only thing that stands in the way of them actually achieving that, hold on now, don't get mad at me when I say it, is us. Us and the environment and world that we create for them will be the barrier that will stop them from realizing all the potential that they have. And so, I wanted to give you definition of potential as Webster, one of the dictionary dictionaries, puts it out there. Potential simply means the inherent ability or capacity for growth, for development, or for coming in into being something that possesses the capacity for growth or development, that's potential. See if I can give you some word on that. Matthew 18 and 19 said, again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. Potential, two of you gotta get together first. Mark 11 and 24. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. What's the caveat? You gotta ask for believing. Luke 11 and 9. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given unto you. Then seek, and you'll find it. Knock, and the door will be opened for you. John 14 and 14, you may ask me for anything in my name and I'll do it. And Ephesians 3 and 20 tells us, now to him who's able to do immeasurably, according to this version, more than we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. All these verses evidence potential, but it also requires us to do something to make that happen. And that's the rub in all of this because we live in a give it to me right now world where we want somebody to do something for us. We want our relationship with the Lord to be such that he does it with all. We don't often give him faith enough to do the things we require of him. And I came to tell you, you have the potential to accomplish all that you seek if you do it according to the way that God tells us to. So today we got a story that tells us how potential can be realized and how powerful the church can be. This Acts 12 uh, scripture talks to us about a time in the church where things were sort of like it is right now with us. Can I give you some history on this so you understand what's going on? The history of this, if you remember from our Bible study, is... This particular verse sets it into motion. It says that it was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. And then watch this. Things get wicked, Jessica. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. Church had been experiencing some significant peace. It had been a little while since things had been out of hand after Jesus' crucifixion. But for a period of time, there hadn't been persecution of those who were in the way, as they used to talk about. So the current problem that they had, and that's usually what starts things, there's a current problem like we have here The current problem is that persecution has broken out again against the church. Yeah, back in the early part of Acts, immediately after the church. Remember now, the disciples got out of town when Jesus was crucified because they were afraid of the persecution that was going on. And that persecution didn't just end with Jesus. It started out after the rest of them. And we know who the main person was who was leading the charge of persecution. His name was Saul. Saul had gone in and gotten permission from the church elders, the church leadership at the Sanhedrin and said, give me some papers so that wherever I go out and find these folk in the way, I can get rid of them because we don't need this subversive group in our community. And they gave it to him and he went out and he started finding them. And the Bible probably can't tell us how many people were killed because of Saul's evilness at that time and his actions. God is amazing. He's awesome. And how he changes things around. But Saul, by the time we get to this verse in chapter 12, had had a life-changing experience. He had met the Lord on the Damascus Road. And the Lord arrested his way when he was out trying to get all these Christians killed. And I say it all the time, and I'm going to keep saying it. And Jesus met him on the Damascus Road and slapped hell out of him. Literally. Yeah, because when Saul left the Damascus Road, he was a different person. At least he was he was foundationally a, a different person. But he had to go through three days of onboarding in the Christian faith. And the Bible said, and the terminology we use today, when you come into a new experience, we got to onboard you. Well, Jesus sent him on to Antioch so he could be onboarded. He sent him in there, and they took him through new Christian orientation. And he started meeting folks. We were going to teach him how to be a believer, but he had met the main one when Jesus had ordained him. Jesus took the main malefactor who was after the Christians and turned him to the field general for the movement that he had started. It tells us that the time of peace was over, and since the enemy wasn't going to play fair, Jesus came out with big guns blazing in order to get the church lined up to be able to defend itself under these circumstances. And so he went, Jesus is something else. He went and got the chief enemy to be his chief man on the field. Jesus don't play fair, y'all. Jesus said, if you can use him for all his evil, I got enough in me to take him and use him for all his good. And so he brings Saul out and says, but we can't put you on the field for my cause with the same old rag you've been wearing. You can't even have the same name, Saul. And so your name is now going to be Paul. Now put you on the road to doing better for us. Now this Herod, the one who went out and started all this persecution, this is Herod, his name is Agrippa the I. Agrippa the I, Herod was a title, y'all. And so Herod, this Herod was Agrippa the I and he was the grandson of the King Herod that had had John the Baptist beheaded. Yeah, so he came from a long line of weak-kneed evil men. And he stayed in that process the entire time. He had learned watching his granddad how to be evil, and he brought that evil forth. Don't tell me what can't happen in the house. Yeah, if you see good in your house, then you learn how to do good. But if you see evil in your house, then evil comes up in your spirit. And if something doesn't come and arrests that, you'll continue to do the evil that you were taught to do. So we're talking now, we're about 11 years after the crucifixion of Jesus Christ persecution of the church has started anew. Stephen has been, Stephen, the first one we knew of as a deacon preacher, had been murdered. Paul was a part of that. In fact, it started Paul's evil streak because Paul was an accessory after the fact to Stephen's murder. He was there when they stoned him to death. In fact, he was the one that gathered all the evidence of the murder, the clothes and everything, and hid it away the day we would have prosecuted him, he would have needed Ronald Williams to defend him, but he would have been prosecuted as an accessory after the fact. All right. Yeah, but the truth of the matter is, this had to shake the church to its core. James, I'm talking about James. This is John's brother. This is one of the foundational leaders of the church, one of the first ones that Jesus had called as his disciple. This man has beheaded him. You know, these are the same James and John that Jesus called the sons of thunder. He had nicknamed them. He had walked with them for three years. He loved them. They were part of his intimate family. And now he's been beheaded. You gotta know the church is shaken. All the apostles and the elders have got to be really, really petrified. But watch this now. While they are in that space, petrified, Herod sees the condition that's happening completely different. If you keep reading in the scripture, you'll see that the current condition is we're under prosecution from the church's standpoint, but from the evil man's standpoint, let me read this again. He said, verse 3 starts reading, when he saw that his murder of James pleased the Jews. Somebody ought to say, wait a minute. That's That's what Luke wrote. He said, it pleased the Jews that he had killed James. And so in order to score more points with the Jews, Agrippa puts his hands out to grab another of the elders, and he seizes Peter. Who else but the one who preached on Pentecost? Who else is going to get me more brownie points? I'll get so many likes. I'll be the number one tweet parent in the world if I go out and get the biggest Christian there is, and so I'm gonna put my hands on Peter and he grabs him and puts him in jail now now, apparently this man is trying to score the biggest points he can with the Jews. We don't know why he's already in charge of everything. The Jews are already afraid of him, and yet he feels like he has to gather him. Not only did he grab him, he defiled his relationship with the Jews because he arrested Peter at one of the high holy festival times. They were at the, Fe- the festival of the unleavened bread when he grabbed Peter. So all these Jews were in town celebrating, having a great time, and this is when he comes in. This is like going in the middle of Legion field at the Classic and arresting the president of Alabama A&M. You got to know it. Somebody going to be mad coming up out of there. Yeah. So after arresting Peter, Herod had him put in prison. And when he put him in, pre- in prison, watch this now, he put him in prison and put 16 soldiers on him. Four squads of four each, a quaternion. All right. Two of the soldiers were chained to Peter. I want to set this up for you because I want you to understand when my God is awesome, he's awesome. Two of them were chained to Peter. Two of them were outside the gate. Two of them were, I mean, and four other uh, uh, squads were around about him, 16 soldiers. Three other the squads were around about him, 16 soldiers to guard one man Why? Why? Why they need that many guys to, to guard Peter? Well, if you look at Peter's history, Peter might need it. You ever see on TV where they come in and they bring these big drug lords and it's like 16 cars of people coming in and they're riding with guns and, and then out get one man. One man going into prison. He's a little old scrunched over man and Yeah, you 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 like that's that's him? Who granddad is that? I mean that's that that's who they got taking it in. But they don't, it's not him, it's who riding who he riding with. That's the problem. He got a whole team against him. Let me see if I can make it plain so you see. This ain't the first time Peter's been arrested. This is the third time that Peter's been arrested. I mean, really, this is the fourth time that Peter's been arrested. Let me see if I can bring it back to your memory, all right? The first time Peter was arrested in Acts 4, Peter was arrested and brought before the Sanhedrin. They threatened him. They warned him about speaking. Y'all remember this from the Bible study? They told him, don't speak no more in the name of that man, Jesus Christ. And and Peter stood right there flat-footed in the Sanhedrin, and he said this. Let me see if you remember him saying this because he was bold. He said, uh, judge for yourself." whether it's right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. He said, For we can't help but speaking about what we've seen and heard. In other words, I stood there and I watched the man I love get nailed to a cross. I saw him die on that cross. We took his body down and put it in a tomb. And then I saw that same man who I saw on that cross. Get up out of a grave and come visit me in my apartment down there on 280 the other day. Y'all need to know, I can't help but tell somebody how good these men. He said, if you kill me in three days, I'll raise my body up. He said that, and guess what? He did it. Now, you can beat me or do whatever you want to do, but I'm going to tell somebody about Jesus. That's what Peter told him, And so they put him out, told him, don't do it no more. It wasn't long before they arrested him again because guess what? He was still out there. Everybody he met, he was telling them about Jesus. And then Peter was bold enough he didn't do it out on the corner, y'all. He came up in the church. In the courtyard. He was teaching in the church, in the the temple about Jesus Christ. This was an affront to the Sanhedrin. They said he is rubbing our noses in what we did to him. We got to do something about him. And so they arrested Peter again in Acts 5. So Acts 4, Peter gets arrested. Acts 5, he gets arrested again, and this time God wasn't playing with him. God wanted them to know that he was in charge of everything, so he didn't even use any earthly powers to get Peter out. God sent an angel, and an angel walked Peter out of the jail. Walked him out of the jail. Not only did he walk him out of the jail, when they came back, they found that the door was still locked. They don't even, nobody picked the lock or anything. Peter, now even if the angel could come through and teleport through the bars or whatever, Peter was all flesh. How did the, something is up here. Yeah, as our daddy used to say, something ain't right. No, the question is who ain't right? Because God was all right in that situation. Yeah, the angel not only walked him out of the jail, the angel said, now Peter, when we get out of here, I want you to go right back in the temple, and I want you to preach right there in the temple where, you, where they took you from. In other words, I want them to know that it's God who did this, and God put you back in space to tell somebody about it. Clearly, Peter is at war personally with the Sanhedrin. Yeah, but they don't they don't know who they're messing with because when they found out what happened again, they arrested him, they beat him again, and then they told him again. Now all they keep doing is threatening him, threatening him and beating him. And so considering Peter's history of not staying in the jail cell that they put him in, now you understand why Herod would put a quaternion of guards on him. He said, Nah, he better not get out this time. He better not get out this time. But God's got other plans. Because if we go down to verse 6 of chapter 12 now, this is Peter who is Houdini in prison. He can always get out. Yeah, because it ain't him that's getting out. It's God that's letting him out. It's God that's making things happening. Verse 6 says that when Peter, watch this now. Y'all, y'all need to hear me because I want you to understand that it looks crazy when you got crazy faith. When you got faith that God is going to take care of things, when God has got you in a place where you know he is on your side, then you do things that don't make sense to people looking at it. And here it is, the Bible says in verse 6, it's so quick you probably missed it. It says, Peter was sleeping. Peter is in prison. Y'all missed it right there. Peter's in prison. They beat him every other time when they brought him in. He got a hearing before the magistrate the next morning. They're going to probably kill him this time because they see they can't keep him in jail. And the night before he's supposed to go in to the biggest trial of his life, Cam, the Bible says he was sleeping. Curled up with his palm in his mouth, sleeping, had his blanket pulled up over his head. He wasn't worried about nothing. Sleeping like a baby. You ever seen a baby room full of folks talking, laughing, having a great time? Baby in the corner just sleep, And everybody look over there and say, I wish I could sleep like that. That's how Peter was sleeping, because he had complete, complete trust in God, even though he was in prison. Waiting for death. He's sleeping. What was the church doing? Here we go. Here we go. Because I want you to understand that there's the struggle that's going out there. The current condition is not much different than the current condition we have right now. All right. There seems to be assault on our community. There's assault on the church, too. Yeah. Yeah. The enemy wants folk to believe that they can't come back to church. They want folk to believe that they shouldn't come back to church. They want folk to believe that there ain't no reason to come back to church. You can get what you need at the house. That's what they keep telling folks. Yeah, you can get it at the house. Just stay at the house, even though it's 25 people that live in your house. Even though you got to watch the service every week on your phone. They keep telling you you can get the same thing at church. I mean, on your phone that you can get in the church. But I got to tell you today, y'all, there's some things you can't get online. There's some things you can't get until you come back up in here. And those of you who have experienced a, a, a worship service know you're missing something. You know you're missing the fellowship. Yeah, yeah, we know. We know you're not sitting at home all the time. No, no, those days are over. The government has told you we ain't shutting nothing down no more. Yeah, every business in the community is up and functioning as well as it can. And so if you want to go to a restaurant now, when COVID first started, we could go pull up. They bring it outside to, you know. They be peeking out the window looking at you now. Saying what, what you waiting on. I ain't coming out there. <laughs> Did y'all call some in? <laughs> you need to call, come in here. Yeah, and publics, when COVID first started, you could go in there. It was like 25 extra workers in there. Every time you touch the door, they wipe it down. Now, not any employee in public, <laughs> in public wears a mask. Not any of them. Not any of them, they don't wipe anything down. They just, you know, they still kind in there. I ain't taking that away from them. Yeah, but they are back to pre-COVID activities. Everywhere you go, the only place that's still sitting back saying COVID stopping me from going is church. School is not telling you. Hospitals have changed. Now, you know, if you can still go up in hospitals, then the church doesn't have any excuse. So I'm telling you, you can continue saying that I can't go back up in there because them folk got whatever. I'm looking out here right now, just about everybody in here got a mask on. Just about every person in the sanctuary got a mask. We are respecting the rules that we want to follow, but we're coming because we know we need to be next to somebody. We know we need to see somebody. We know we need to fist bump somebody. They, they need to know I'm doing all right. I'm making it through it. We send our children to school. The school say we're not even putting masks on kids in schools. It's not happening. They got to go there every day to school. Every day. I'm here to tell you right now, it's time for you to reassess whether or not you coming to church. Now we're gonna keep on streaming it because we got to, because we got too many folk out there who we met, who we fellowship with. We'll keep doing that. But those of you who have the ability, have the resources to get up in the building, you need to get up in the building. Get up in the building. The same thing you waiting on today, you'll be waiting on a month a year from now. Things will not have changed. We need you, and that's the current condition. And you want to know why our children are struggling out in the community? Because they're not seeing the examples. The things that lay the moral foundation are still struggling. Can I tell you, the club didn't close. You didn't have to wear no mask up in the club when you went up in there. They still going to the things that the devil wants them to go to. We got to fight too, y'all. We got to grab our children and put them in a place. Let them know that we care about them and that we love them. And that's a good way to be. Every child out there is not trying to do wrong. Some of them are looking for places to go to do right. That's our response. It's always been our responsibility. We're the alternative to the world. We got to do our job. So the current condition that Peter found is the same condition that we got right now, y'all. So what was the church doing while Peter was in jail? What are we doing while Jefferson County has 1,300 folk locked up? I know that number. I know that number. Another 100 at the city jail. I know those numbers. What are we doing with those folk locked up? What are we doing with the folk who are not locked up in jail but who locked up in their houses? What are we doing? The Bible says that the church was in constant prayer, constant prayer, constant prayer. So Peter's being persecuted. The church was in danger. The community's in danger because Herod wouldn't stop. The enemy won't stop. He's going to keep going because his job is to seek, kill, and destroy. He's not going to stop until he's got everybody either found, killed, or the system's destroyed. That's his job. That's his job. The question is, do you understand what our job is? God has given us the potential to change the circumstances. I'm back at that again. He's given us the potential to make a difference in our community. The question is, are we using the vehicle that he's given us to make the difference? And I told you, for some reason, God has given us the vehicle of prayer to make a difference in our community. And so they are praying. Peter went to prison, the church went to a prayer meeting. And the, the church went to a prayer meeting, David, and the Bible says that it was simple. They simply had two things that were going on at the same time that Peter was locked up. The question is, who was at the prayer meeting? Who was at the prayer meeting? Bible says they were in a house that belonged to Mary. Mary's house. So we had three groups of people that were in there. The first was Mary. Mary's group. They are Mary's in the church right now. Why is this important? Who is Mary? Mary was John Mark's mother. She was rich. God had blessed her with resources, more resources than other folk had. And she had a house that was big enough to have a proud meeting in. The church has always had people who've been given resources more than other folk. There's always been folk who had more money than they needed to live. Because God was expecting that those who had more money that they needed to live would also use that money to give. He didn't give it to us just to hold. We're supposed to support the activities of the church. Yeah, it's not just so you can live a lavish, wonderful uh, recreational lifestyle. That's not why he gives us these things. He gives it to us so we can be the vehicle to make life more bearable for those people who do not have. That's our purpose of getting it. And I know it's true because I've seen it taken from folk. Yeah, I've seen it taken from folk who didn't know what to do with it. The same one who was not willing to give to the one in the bread line ended up in the bread line. Then you have an appreciation for what you have. And so God has done that. He There's a married group right now in the church. house, Marriage house is big. She could feed people, and it would not impact her daily food intake in her home. She could help people under those circumstances. We have that right now. The church comes and says, we're trying to give to Jackson, Mississippi. Yeah, some of y'all in here right now could peel off something for Jackson, and you would never think about it. It wouldn't affect you at all. That's why God gave it to you so you can help under those circumstances. And in fact, when you get to a place like that, you already know it's expected of you that you have to help under those circumstances. Not only was there a Mary group, there was a Rhoda group. Rhoda was a little girl who came to the house that night after the prayer meeting had been going for a while. She came to the house because there, there was a knock at the door. She went to the door. And she looked out the door. Everybody else in there praying, and Rhoda Rhoda's excited to be up in there because she was in there with all the leaders of the church. I'm just happy to be in the place. And she goes to the to the to the door and opens the door, and oh my God, it's Peter. The way hey, hey, she turned, hey, hey, hey. The one we praying for is at the door. And guess what they do? See, I told you, when God does something miraculous, it makes folk think you crazy, and that's what they do. She is looked at. Like she is crazy, Rhoda. What are you talking about? Peter is in prison. She, she, she said, "Well, it looked like Peter, <laughs> and, and and he sounds like Peter out there." Hey, like, well, what's your name? <laughs> Peter is at the door because they are shocked that God has blessed their prayer. And that's some folk who come in church right now who are simply believers. Simply believers. They come and they're excited. We don't know all of them. They come in and they work all the time. We happen to get a name on this young lady. Her name is is Rhoda. But I can go through and list so many folk who just work in the church You never even know anything about what they do. They just do their jobs. I could put other folks' name in Rhoda's place. They believe enough that they keep on doing what God asked them to do. So you got your your Marys, you got your rotors, and then the last group you got is the many. Many. You you, you go through this. You go through this, and you got your stories about the Noahs and the Moses. You got your stories about the Daniels and the Davids. But how many unnamed people? How many people whose names could never be listed in scripture were part of the household of faith? were part of those who believed in what was going on, Old and New Testament. They loved the Lord, and when the Lord sent his Messiah, they loved him too. But you'll never see their name written on anything. And the church is so full of folk like that now. You come by here, and all you see is the name Andre Sparks out there. But it takes the whole congregation to make Andre's name mean anything out there. And most of all, we couldn't put everybody's name on the marquee, but we couldn't have a marquee without everybody who's doing it. That's how it works. It's so many people who, through the ages, in the in the hundred plus years at Forty Fifth Street, has been here. So many people who have worked and died and given their all, oh, their blood, sweat, and tears, and we'll never know their name. But they made it possible, and that's the many. Most of the folk in the body of Christ fall within the many. Most of us, however, spend a lifetime just to be in one of the uh, trying to get somebody to know my name. Somebody to know my name, somebody to to say my name and to say that it's valuable or worthwhile. Can I tell you, God knows your name. Jesus knows who you are. He knows you and that's what makes it so valuable. He knows, he understands what you're going through. And so what's the purpose of prayer? The purpose of prayer, two things. First, we gotta be unified. We need to be praying for the same thing. it has gotta be unity. And what we're asking for. When God says, when we get together and we pray for something, heaven hears that. When we show him that it's important to us, he hears that and he can validate our prayers by his actions. In this instance, the church was together that night and everybody, Tamil, was saying the same thing. Lord, release Peter. Lord, protect Peter. Lord, keep Peter. And heaven kept hearing that comfort over and over and over again. And guess what? The Lord protected Peter. The Lord kept Peter. And the Lord released Peter. Why? Because the Lord was certain that the people were all behind Peter. So he validated that. Not only does it have to be unity in prayer, there has to be urgency in prayer. Yeah. Yeah, we've gotten lazy about praying. We've gotten lazy about praying. Yeah. I'm not gonna ask you, I'm not gonna ask you how often you do it, I'm not gonna ask you when you do it. Yeah, but the Bible says here that the prayer was made without ceasing. Without ceasing, they constantly were in prayer. It was ever before them, they were prayer walking everywhere they went throughout the day. When they weren't taking care of a task that had to have their attention, they were praying, they were interceding on behalf of a situation. Prayer without ceasing shows God that it's urgent, that we need your attention to this right now. Can I tell you, we have more ability to communicate and we communicate less. We have more resources that allows us to connect. I'm not going to ask you by a show of hands. I I don't know. I know for the last three years we've had a prayer app at this church where we could immediately pray for something. If somebody was sick, we could go unify in prayer as a congregation and pray for that person, and some of us won't even put it on our phone or device or whatever you got. We still have and have had on Wednesday morning a six o'clock prayer call. Every Wednesday morning, we've had it for years at this church. Ask yourself, am I part of it? Am I part of the churches? What am I saying you don't pray. Am I part of the collective prayer from the church about various things that are troubling and we're dealing with? Ask yourself, am I part of that? And if not, why? Why? I'm I'm sorry to tell you this, y'all. I can't make prayer sexy. I can't. It's serious business. It's serious business. It's the, it's the kind of stuff you have to make yourself do, like math homework. You got to make yourself do it. I'm sorry, Ashley. You just have to do it. Brown, it's essential, not just when somebody in your house see. You know, that same energy you have when it's somebody in your family. God, or oh, maybe it's you and you want everybody to be behind you and pray for you under those circumstances, that's the same kind of energy you have to bring to other folks' situations. That's the same kind of energy you have to bring when it's not even in your church, when it's simply in the community. We need that kind of urgency, that kind of prayer without ceasing. That's the prayer that brings the power of heaven into our situation. And so we know, how do we know that this prayer that they prayed in Mary's house that night, John Mark's mama's house, how do we know that that prayer met the requirements of heaven? Because two things happened that told us that heaven was satisfied. First of all, there was an unusual demonstration of power. Unusual demonstration. What's the unusual demonstration? Well, a man got out of jail when he was surrounded by 16 folk to um, chain to him. He got out of prison. And showed up at the place where they were. Unusual demonstration of power. Rhoda said, that's Peter. That's validation. But that was unusual demonstration of power. What's the other thing that lets us know? That heaven had heard it. It was undeniable. It was an unusual demonstration of power, that was Undeniable that Christ, that God had done exactly what he said he was going to do. And he did exactly what they asked him to do. It was undeniable that it had to be God that let him out because there was no human who was going to to suffer the wrath of not only the Jewish leadership, but the wrath of Rome. None of them were going to suffer that. And so it had to be God that let him out. Undeniable. Those two things tell you. some of y'all have been sitting there, you know, when the doctor has said, we don't know what happened here. When you get home, keep on living and we'll see what the end is going to be on this. But keep on living. It's an undeniable fact that man didn't have nothing to do with this. This is all heaven making this happen. That's when we know that prayer has been answered. And so here you go. The last thing I want to tell you is this. When you got a current problem that's met with a constant petition from faithful believers, you can find a release of considerable power. That's how you know it. So I still believe in the power of prayer. I still believe that prayer works to change people first and people can change situations. The question is, do you believe? Are you part of the group that believes that prayer makes the difference in our lives? And if you do believe that then I invite you now to continue praying for our circumstances. If we want shooting to stop in Birmingham, then every church in Birmingham, every believer in Birmingham needs to be praying the same way. We want young folk to put guns down in our community. Then we also got to pray that old folk put guns down in our community. If we want marriages to work in our community. Then we got to stop getting separated over things that we should We want them to work. Realize there are circumstances that come about. I'm not trying to be the moral police here. All I'm simply trying to tell you is watch this. Whatever's important to us, we need to collectively put it before the Lord. We need to pray without ceasing. And we need to be unified in our attempt to make it happen. We want our babies to grow up in a safer community. We've got to make the community safer. Nobody's going to come to the rescue. Nobody's coming over here to save us. Nobody's going to do it. It's all up to us. Guess what? He's already done what he needs to do to give us the roadmap for better. And we were yet without the ability to save ourselves. The Bible said that Christ came and died for us. He's already sent the best gift he had for us. And that was his son, Jesus Christ. He's already sent him. All he asks us to do is believe. Have faith in him. That's all he asks us to do. Do you believe? I wonder if there's somebody here who just found out today that Jesus Christ died. I wonder if there's somebody here right now who's determined to change their life and go a different way. Right now is the time that you decided, I'm going to give my life to Jesus Christ. This is something I've been asking the Lord for, asking for. Now I realize I've been praying and didn't even know. Here is an opportunity to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is, in fact, the one you've been looking for. And so, as the leaders of our church come, I extend an invitation to, to accept His accept His gift of eternal life. You, like we, will be able to live eternally with Jesus. Doors so of our church are open. Whosoever will, let him come. Right.